evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. Baby formula is still in short supply in parts of the U.S., leaving many parents desperate. President Biden met with manufacturers today to discuss solutions, but some Republican lawmakers say the White House isn't doing enough to get formula back on the shelves. This is a crisis that should never be happening, and this is completely, squarely on the shoulders of the Biden administration. Republicans are calling on the DOJ to enforce the law and prosecute the protesters demonstrating outside Supreme Court justices' homes. They say failing to do so is, quote, a shameless and implicit endorsement of mob rule in America. What's happening here is a direct violation of the law, and it's meant to influence, it's meant to intimidate. A new report says drug centers run by government agencies are giving out crack pipes. That's after the White House denied funding those pipes earlier this year. The statement makes clear uh, that we don't support federal funding, indirect or direct, for pipes. Is China harvesting organs from prisoners of conscience? Today, a U.S. congressional hearing shed light on some of the mounting evidence. Plus, an account from a Chinese surgeon who said he took part in it. Israel wants to examine the bullet that killed an Al Jazeera reporter in the West Bank. But Palestinian authorities are refusing to let Israel have access to it. The U.S. is facing an unprecedented shortage of baby formula. It's happening because of supply disruptions and a massive safety recall by leading baby formula maker Abbott. But Republican lawmakers say the Biden administration is also to blame. Here are the details. Baby formula is getting harder to come by across the U.S. as ongoing supply problems are intensifying. Prominent manufacturer Abbott issued a recall after complaints that some babies had become sick and two had died. The company has closed its largest U.S. formula plant over contamination concerns. Rudolf Luschner is an associate professor of supply chain management at Rutgers Business School. He says one shuttered plant is enough to cause a serious shortage. Depending on where people live, um, there have been um, severe stockouts um, of baby formula. Now, it's not widespread everywhere yet, but with that one big plant being shut down and not producing baby formula, we ha are producing way less baby formula. Abbott says the baby formula making facility can restart within two weeks, as long as the FDA approves. Meanwhile, major retail chains like CVS and Walgreens are limiting how many containers customers can purchase at a time. And pediatricians are urging parents who can't find formula to contact food banks or doctor's offices. They warn against watering down formula to stretch supplies or using online DIY recipes. It's important to remember that um, for babies on formula, this is the only food option. There, there is no substitute. And um, I think... Um, we have to probably reevaluate um, what critical um, infrastructure really means. We're keeping a strategic supply of uh, crude oil and petroleum, um, but do we have critical strategic supplies of food items, maybe for formula. I think this uh, unfortunately shows that we were not necessarily expecting this to happen. President Biden met with companies that manufacture and sell baby formula on Thursday afternoon to discuss possible solutions. He urged both public and private sectors to do their part to alleviate the shortage. But he didn't say when people should expect shelves to be restocked. And on Capitol Hill, Republican lawmakers criticized the response by the FDA and the White House. They say the administration wasn't prepared for such a crisis and isn't doing enough. This is a crisis that should never be happening, and this is completely, squarely on the shoulders of the Biden administration and the Democrats that are controlling our government. New York Congresswoman Elise Stefanik told NTD's Steve Lance that the Biden administration failed to address a similar situation earlier in the year. There was the recall of formula being manufactured and produced in Sturgis, Michigan. The FDA had absolutely no plan how to address that aspect of the supply chain crisis. But it even goes back earlier than that uh, as a result of just the labor shortage in this country, the lack of accessing basic materials that are part of the manufacturing process. 
She also criticized the administration for sending baby formula down to the border during a shortage. I went down to the border just weeks ago. I saw the shelves of formula down there, and it's a humanitarian crisis at the border. There is nothing compassionate about an open border. That's why it's important for us to secure the borders. But the fact that American mothers and fathers are desperately searching for formula, and yet you have taxpayer-funded formula going down to the southern border. In a letter published Thursday, Republican Senator Marco Rubio called on President Biden to invoke the Defense Production Act to increase the domestic production of baby formula. He says a major supply chain disruption that puts the lives of America's infants in jeopardy is worthy of the response. The Supreme Court met today for the first time since the leak of a draft opinion revealing the court's intent to overturn Roe v. Wade. Since the leak, there's been protests outside the justices' homes. And Republicans are now calling on the Justice Department to enforce the law and prosecute the protesters. NTD's Grace Coulter has the details. In a Wednesday letter to the DOJ, 48 House Republicans said failing to charge these pro-abortion demonstrators is a shameless and implicit endorsement of mob rule in America. That's because they're protesting outside the homes of Supreme Court justices, which they say violates federal law. Section 1507 of Title 18 of the U.S. Code states it's a federal crime to attempt to influence a judge and the outcome of a court case by picketing or parading outside a judge's home. Congressman Jim Jordan, thank you so Speaking much. Speaking with NTD's Capitol Report, Congressman Jim Jordan explained he's all for the First Amendment, which protects the right to peaceful assembly. But what's happening here is a direct violation of the law, and it's meant to influence, it's meant to intimidate uh, the Supreme Court justices because of the draft opinion that was leaked uh, 10 days ago. So far, protesters have picketed the homes of four conservative justices. The most recent protest took place outside the home of Justice Amy Coney Barrett Wednesday night. Grace Coulter, NTD News. And if you want to catch the full interview with Congressman Jim Jordan, check out the Capitol Report on NTD at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen on Tuesday said eliminating women's access to abortion would have very damaging effects on the economy and women. I spoke with a pro-life feminist who's a correspondent for the nonprofit Live Action to examine these issues. Christina Bennett's mother walked out of the abortion appointment that would have ended Christina's life. And now Christina says she helps other women who are in a similar situation. Christina, welcome. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen says overturning Roe v. Wade would have damaging effects on the economy and supposedly set women back decades. What's your take on this? My take is that we cannot build an economy on bloodshed. We cannot build an economy on the bloodshed of our sons and daughters. We have to find a better way. If women are suffering, and they are, women are suffering with poverty, women are suffering during the pandemic, and it's challenging for them to choose to parent, then we need to come together as a society and figure out how we can fix this. We need to think about these issues in a way that does not involve violence and does not involve killing children. Senator Bob Menendez has said that removing abortion access would be disastrous for low-income and minority women, to which Tim Scott responded that he was raised in poverty by a single mother, and yet he's grateful to be alive serving as a U.S. senator. Do you think that comments like Senator Menendez's imply that the children of some minority women shouldn't be born because the family will suffer? I think that people don't understand how when they are advocating for abortions for poor women, for women of color, how they are really just following in the footsteps of Margaret Sanger and the eugenics movement. Because Sanger, who founded Planned Parenthood, believed the same exact thing. She believed that the disabled, the poor, people of color, that they shouldn't be giving birth because they would reproduce after their own kind and they would burden society. And that's that same mindset that we have today. I love what Senator Scott said because that's my story as well. I was raised by a single mother. My mother had challenges and she had to depend on government support for a certain part of her life. But I was able to advance and even do things that she wasn't able to do in her life. I was able to graduate college. That's something that she was not able to do, and she regrets that she wasn't able to do. But it just shows you that you can't ever fully determine what a child's life is going to be like just looking at their parents. 
my life is very different than the life of my mother. And I'm thankful that she chose to give me life, just as Senator Scott said about his life. And so it is really eugenics mindset that says a woman who is poor, a woman that is a woman of color, we need to offer them abortion as the, the best thing for them. No, we need to offer them support and resources and help them and their family to thrive. In your view, what's a good way forward for women, families, and society as a whole? I think that we all need to come together, Republican, Democrat, Black, White, Independent, whatever your, your race, whatever your political beliefs are, we need to come together and serve women and families. We can have discussions about this as well, about making adoption more affordable, but also about how we can help out in the foster care system, whether it's foster to adopt or whether it's a traditional foster care where we're, we're taking in children. We can have these discussions in our churches, in our synagogues, in our mosques, in our communities. And while I 100% support banning abortion, I also understand that we need to come together and offer resources and support to lift up women and families as they continue to choose life. Live action correspondent Christina Bennett, thank you. Thank you for having me. A new report says that drug centers run by government agencies are, in fact, giving out crack pipes in their safe smoking kits. That's after the White House specifically denied giving out crack pipes a few months ago. Earlier this year, the Biden administration announced a $30 million grant program for safe smoking kits. It came under heavy criticism because the kits were allegedly supposed to contain crack pipes. Back then, the White House denied those allegations, saying reports about the kits containing pipes were inaccurate. They were never a part of the kit. It was inaccurate reporting, and we wanted to put out information to make that clear. What is in the safe smoking kit? Uh, a safe smoking kit may contain alcohol swabs, lip balm, other materials to promote hygiene and reduce the transmission of diseases like HIV and hepatitis. The Washington Free Beacon investigated the issue, visiting five government-run drug centers in five cities along the East Coast. It is unclear whether those centers applied for the $30 million grant or whether the White House knows that those centers are giving out crack pipes. But the investigation found that all of them were giving out crack pipes in their safe smoking kits. Most Americans don't want their money going to giving out drug paraphernalia. Mark Meckler is the president of the Convention of States. He told NTD that although the kids do also contain hygiene products and not only the pipes, that's most likely not going to do much. They're not always going to use medical grade wipes and mouthpieces. These are people who are under the influence of serious narcotics. So maybe once they'll do a little better, but generally speaking, they're not going to. The Free Beacon also found that a smoking kit in Baltimore included a kind of get out of jail card. Addicts get the program participant card along with the kit because having drug paraphernalia is actually illegal in Maryland. When a society stops enforcing its own laws, it becomes lawless. That's a very dangerous situation for a society. NTD reached out to the White House asking how they'll ensure the grant money won't be used for crack pipes. But we didn't hear back before broadcast. Today on Capitol Hill, a bipartisan group of lawmakers rejected the defund the police slogan. The group's now calling on congressional leadership to pass a bill to grant more funding to police officers. Here's NTD's Melina Weiskup with the details. It's National Police Week and Congress members on Capitol Hill are honoring officers across the country. In 2021, there were 458 officers who died in the line of duty. That's a 55% increase over the year before. This in-the-field danger factor is coupled with sinking morale in the profession, leading to a nationwide police shortage. And over the last three years, we've heard a lot of rhetoric up here about defunding the police. And so first of all, I want to thank every one of those law enforcement individuals that stayed on, the, stayed on post. Their gratitude today is accompanied by a bipartisan bill to grant more funding for officers. We need to fund, not defund, local <laughs> law enforcement to keep them and our communities safe. The bill targets small police departments and would offer grant money, giving officers bonuses to keep them on the job. At the same time, police staffing is going down, crime is going up. The president of a sheriff's union in California told me that one reason is a more relaxed approach to crime. 
decriminalization of, of many laws, uh, decriminalization of uh, substance abuse specifically, which then kind of uh, exacerbated the problem of mental health. The drug addiction problem in this country is, has, has really grown. This bill would also provide up to $10,000 for officers to get a degree in mental or public health or social work. I think what we've seen over the years, at least in my communities, is continued loss of local financial resources, local governments going through stress, some of them actually going into bankruptcy. So that's a fairly recent phenomenon. It's one of the reasons this is important. Both Republicans and Democrats in both chambers have signed on to the initiative. You know, not every issue can garner the kind of broad bipartisan support that the Invest to Protect Act has. And this group of Congress members is calling on leadership to quickly bring this to the floor for a vote. Representative Gottheimer, who's leading this initiative, told me that he's confident that it could get enough votes in order to pass the House. There is a similar version introduced on the Senate side, so it would move rather quickly if they were to bring it up to the floor for a vote. It's just now in the hands of leadership whether or not to move forward on this. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Weisskopf, NTD News. Palestinian authorities are refusing to allow Israel to examine the bullet that killed an Al Jazeera reporter yesterday. Israel says its own soldiers could have been responsible. The 51-year-old Palestinian-American journalist Shireen Abu Akleh was killed in a city in the West Bank. Israeli forces were conducting a raid there at the time. Countries, including the U.S., have called for an immediate investigation. Palestine blames Israel for her death. And Israeli authorities say they believe fire from Palestinian militants was to blame, but also didn't rule out that the bullet could have come from Israeli troops. Israel is doing its own investigation. They say it would be hard to determine who's responsible without access to the bullet. Palestinian authorities say they are doing their own investigation. Killing people for their organs. It may sound hard to believe, but experts and lawmakers are pointing to the mounting evidence that the Chinese Communist Party is indeed committing a crime against humanity. But why isn't this more widely known? We bring you more from a congressional hearing today. My scalp finds its way cutting his skin. Blood can be seen. It implies that his heart was still pumping blood and his body was struggling. He was alive. That's Chinese surgeon Enver Toti recalling to lawmakers his former role in China's lucrative practice of harvesting organs from prisoners of conscience. Thus, we see religious dissidents targeted for harvesting. First and foremost, the Falun Gong. A House panel on Thursday examined evidence pointing to a large-scale state-sanctioned practice of forced organ harvesting in China. Matthew Robertson, who co-authored a recent research report, said his team analyzed hundreds of Chinese medical papers and found 71 cases in which organs were removed from living donors. The papers appear to show that the donors, who were prisoners, were alive at the time of the surgery and were killed by the transplant surgeons in the process of heart extraction. And the unusually short waiting time for organ transplants in China points to the same conclusion. Waiting times were advertised in weeks and days, suggesting that a pool of blood type donors was available for execution and organ harvesting on demand. Beijing claimed that their organs come from voluntary donors. But a London-based People's Tribunal in 2019 concluded that China continues to forcibly harvest organs on a large scale, with Falun Gong practitioners being the main target. And we tested both the factual evidence and then the legal factual conclusions on the strictest basis proof beyond reasonable doubt. However, this terrible, terrible abuse. Why, why, the, why the silence? A former assistant secretary of state said Beijing is using its economic influence to force many to stay silent, even within the U.S. government. But our intelligence community needs to be all over this, and they're not. And uh, it's just, uh, it's politically incorrect to raise these questions. There's way too much money involved. Meanwhile, lawmakers are pushing to pass bipartisan legislation to stop forced organ harvesting in China. And much more needs to be done and the fight must go on. The bill would sanction those taking part in organ harvesting and require the Department of State to report on those practices. Coming up, the Satanic Temple wants to fly its flag at Boston City Hall. They want the same privileges as religious groups. NTD's Arlene Richards digs into this group's claims and the people who oppose them. And 
Forbes published its annual list of highest paid athletes in the world. NTD's Dave Martin shares where LeBron ranks. That and much more coming up on NTD News. NTD's Capital Report. It's about getting answers. Cutting through the fog of politics. It's about your questions and our chances to ask. What is the net impact of the American Carson Graves? Thank you for joining us. We're speaking to those in power to find out what does this mean for the people. We're here so you are in the know. After the Supreme Court said a Christian group could fly its flag in Boston, the Satanic Temple applied for permission as well. NTD's Arlene Richards explores whether Boston has the right to turn the temple down and what other communities have done to keep them out. Where are we misunderstanding this ruling? In a unanimous decision, the Supreme Court ruled that the city of Boston could not discriminate against a religious group that asked to fly its flag at City Hall. Shortly after the ruling, the Satanic Temple submitted an application to fly its flag for a week in July. A legal expert says the temple will likely be permitted to fly its flag, but not because it is a religion. Well, the, the context is religious speech, but the, but the court really didn't expound much on the religion clauses of the Constitution. The, the opinion is rooted completely in the free speech clause of the Constitution. Despite the ruling, Stern says for many years, the courts have grappled with what constitutes a religion. What the courts have divided on is a different issue, which is whether you need a traditional Western concept of the deity as the object of worship or veneration um, or, or not. And, and the court has been back and forth on that issue. The Satanic Temple states on its website that it serves as a poison pill in the church-state debate and that it aims to rebel against what it calls a theocratic system. In 2014, the group announced it would stage a Satanic Black Mass at Harvard University. John Ritchie is the director of a project that resists socialist and communist trends. He said in an email, thousands of concerned people voiced their energetic protest. It was quickly canceled. Richie's group has coordinated peaceful prayer rallies in other cities to combat Satanist events. He says prayer and peaceful protest are good ways to stop the spread of evil. Good laws are great, but a good and moral culture is even more important because it makes Satanism unthinkable from the get-go. Arlene Richards, NTD News, New York. The Biden administration has just canceled three major oil lease sales, two in the Gulf of Mexico and one in Alaska. That'll block companies from drilling on over one million acres. NTD's Faye Quarter has more. The Biden administration has canceled the sales of three major oil leases. Two are in the Gulf of Mexico, which it says is due to conflicting court rulings that impacted work on the lease sales. The other one is in Alaska's Cook Inlet, which the Interior Department says is due to lack of industry interest. You don't make a predetermined um, you know, answer of, of there's no interest without holding a lease sale to find out if there's interest. Rick Whitbeck is the Alaska State Director at Power the Future. Whitbeck says the lease areas are near actively producing basins, and he believes there's tremendous opportunity to lease those lands. Whitbeck finds the cancellations astonishing. The American Petroleum Institute, which represents all segments of America's oil and gas industry, says the administration talks about the need for more supply and acts to restrict it. It says the administration lacks commitment toward oil and gas development. Meanwhile, nonprofit ocean conservation group Oceana says big oil doesn't need more leases and that we cannot drill our way out of high gas prices and it would take years or decades for any new leases to begin producing. They're right, but it's only because of the delay tactics that the Biden administration has put on the permitting side. It takes way too long to, to, to process and permit those uh, opportunities. The national average gas price is currently around $4.41. Bay Quarter, NTD News. Two House representatives from New York want early 9-11 documents to be released, specifically about the toxic dust. The pair has made the same request to every New York City mayor since the attacks, but without success. Now they're trying their luck with Mayor Eric Adams, 
who was at ground zero himself 20 years ago. Democratic New York representatives Carolyn Maloney and Gerald Nadler say they want to know what the city knew about the hazards in the disaster zone and the potential impact on people who lived, worked, and went to school there. They urge the city to release any documents related to 9-11 that are in its files or emails from the period of September 11, 2001 through the spring of 2002. A settlement is reached for the condominium, condominium collapse in Surfside, Florida last year. The class action lawsuit was started by families of victims and survivors. The settlement is still pending approval, but it's worth just shy of $1 billion. According to ABC New York, the settlement involves insurance companies, developers and others. The judge involved in the case was reportedly happy to hear about the settlement, calling it fantastic and much more than he anticipated. The condo, just north of Miami Beach, collapsed last June and almost 100 people were killed. The Arkansas 2022 primaries are coming up in two weeks and early voting started Monday. Here's an overview of the key races. Voters have began casting ballots this week in Arkansas's primary elections. On the Republican side, Trump's former White House press secretary, Sarah Sanders, holds the lead in the gubernatorial race with 72.5% support among likely voters. Her sole rival is former talk show host Francis Washburn with 16.5% support. On the Democratic side for governor, Chris Jones garnered the support of 59.5% of likely voters. None of the party's other candidates drew more than 5% support. Sanders is the daughter of former Arkansas Governor Mike Huckabee. She won former President Trump's endorsement shortly after announcing her candidacy early last year. For the Senate race, the survey shows incumbent Senator John Boozman leading in the Republican primary with 45% support from likely voters. He is followed by Jake Beckett at 19% and Jan Morgan at 16.5%. Boozman has been criticized for not fully siding with Trump after the January 6th Capitol breach, but he himself has obtained Trump's endorsement for the re-election bid, and he highlights that on his campaign page. Beckett was a former NFL player and Army officer. He positioned himself as more conservative than Boozman. This is Beckett's first run for public office. Morgan is a gun rights advocate and investigative journalist. She's running on a platform of protecting Second Amendment rights. If Boozman fails to secure a majority in the May 24th primary, he will face a runoff election against the runner-up on June 21st. Coming up in California, a transportation agency takes down one of its work buildings one year after an employee killed co-workers in the very same building. And a rapidly growing wildfire in Southern California has triggered mandatory evacuations. The flames burned more than 200 acres and destroyed about 20 homes in an upscale neighborhood. That and more on NTD News. A major transit agency in Silicon Valley is demolishing one of its buildings. The agency says it's to help bring closure to their employees after losing 10 workmates last year in a tragic mass shooting. NTD's Dave, David Lamb reports. Teams began demolishing Building B at the Valley Transportation Authority light rail maintenance facility in California's Bay Area on Wednesday. This is nearly a year since a former VTA employee killed nine co-workers before taking his own life. Six employees reportedly died in this building, which has remained closed since then. It used to house way power and signal teams responsible for maintaining railway infrastructure. The demolition follows a mass shooting that happened almost exactly one year ago on May 26, 2021. 57-year-old Samuel Cassidy opened fire on his co-workers in San Jose. All 10 people who died ranged from 29 to 63 years old, including the killer himself. Agency officials said in a news release that demolishing the building will allow VTA to move forward with planning long-term solutions for the yard with a building that meets the maintenance and operation needs of VTA, while supporting the emotional needs of employees who experienced the tragedy that occurred at the light rail facility. The decision to demolish Building B came after months of anguish for the shooting's survivors. David Lamb, Entity News, California. A wildfire swept through drought-stricken Southern California on Wednesday night. 
Flames raised mansions in one of the state's most affluent neighborhoods. NTD's Jeremy Sandberg has this report. The blaze dubbed Coastal Fire has scorched more than 200 acres in Aliso Woods Canyon, forcing mandatory evacuations in the Laguna Niguel neighborhood. Videos on social media captured the flames engulfing multi-million dollar homes, turning the town's sky into an apocalyptic hue of orange. Helicopters are still dropping water through the smoke. The Orange County Fire Authority said about 20 homes were set ablaze, and the number could rise. So far, no injuries have been reported. According to Orange County Sheriff Scott Steinley, the fire was relatively small in the afternoon, but then spread rapidly, aided by the sea breeze and the dense undergrowth on the hillside. Orange County authorities said evacuations were ordered for about 100 homes. There were no other major fires in Southern California, enabling firefighters from the area to concentrate their resources. But meanwhile, the Hermit's Peak Fire, one of the largest wildfires in the United States, is still spreading in northern New Mexico. It's the second largest fire on record in the state, as wind-blown flames roar close to the mountain resort. More than 230,000 acres were burned, an area larger than all five boroughs of New York City. Officials have issued another set of warnings for more people to evacuate. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. And at the border of Nevada and Arizona, Lake Mead's water levels have plunged to their lowest level in history, leading to fears of water restrictions across multiple states. Here are the details. A massive reservoir stricken by drought in the Colorado River Basin is rapidly drying up. It means tens of millions of people across several U.S. states could face limits on their water. A shortage for Nevada, California, Arizona, and even across the border in Mexico. Nevada says it's taking action to ensure its supply. Patty Aaron is with the Bureau of Reclamation. We're in our 23rd year of drought in the Colorado River Basin. Um, both Lake Powell and Lake Mead have been declining rapidly uh, during the course of this drought, and Lake Mead is now at its lowest level since it filled. About 75% of the water goes to irrigation for agriculture that supplies about 60% of the food for the nation that's grown in the United States. The lake is filled from the Colorado River as snow melts from the mountains. In 1999, it was at 97% capacity. Now it sits at only 30% full. We depend on the snowpack and um, in circumstances like this where we have many years of drought, the soils are extremely dry. So even if we get a good snowpack, when it melts off, it's going to go into the soils and not run off into the river. So we need at least four years of consecutive good snowpack to start to recover. Water authorities responsible for Nevada's Las Vegas region have had to activate a $1.5 billion insurance policy, including building a new low-level pumping station. Coming up, a new proposal is on its way to safeguard U.S. national security, one that may further block Beijing from accessing U.S. data. New CDC data shows nearly 300 Americans are dying every day from drug overdoses. China plays a big role in getting those drugs into the U.S. That and more here on NTD News. Navigating a world of economic madness, you need to have the right guide. What do today's decisions mean for your tomorrow? We ask why. What's the alternative? Uncover the deeper reasons and the hidden influences and highlight the real opportunities for profit. At Entity Business, we connect the dots for you. Good evening. Thank you. China may soon have a harder time getting its hands on U.S. data. The Biden administration is finding new ways to safeguard the country's national security. And a proposal is now under review. Here's more. Washington is looking for ways to bar China from scooping up U.S. data. A new executive order draft from the White House presents a new option. If passed, it would give the Department of Justice vast powers to deny foreign adversaries, including China, access to the country's data. 
What's more, it would direct the Department of Health and Human Services, or HHS, to keep a closer grip on federal funding and block it from supporting the transfer of American health data to foreign adversaries or entities owned by, controlled by, or subject to the jurisdiction or direction of foreign adversaries. That's according to insiders and excerpts seen by Reuters. The proposal also involves the Commerce Department. The department has delayed rolling out rules and investigating threats related to foreign activity, something that's frustrated the Biden administration. The Trump administration expanded the department's powers in 2019, allowing it to control transactions between U.S. firms and foreign adversary nations, including China. The new draft seeks to fix those holdups. It would give the DOJ authority to monitor compliance and enforce prohibitions, licenses or mitigation agreements issued by earlier White House orders. It would also grant the Commerce Secretary powers to decide what kind of transactions are outright banned and which are exempt. Government agencies are reviewing the proposal. So far, the related departments haven't commented. Citing another insider, Reuters says the document is an initial draft and subject to change. The leading cause of death in the U.S. amid the pandemic is not COVID. For Americans aged 18 to 45, the leading cause of death is fentanyl overdoses. Fentanyl is flooding into the U.S. from across the border in record amounts. In 2021, enough fentanyl was seized by Customs and Border Protection to kill every American nearly seven times over. Drug overdose deaths topped 100,000 last year for the first time. NTD's Don Ma reports. U.S. CDC data released Wednesday shows hundreds of Americans are dying every day from fentanyl overdoses. It only takes two milligrams of fentanyl to kill. One kilogram of fentanyl can kill 500,000 people. Derek Maltz is a former agent in charge of the Drug Enforcement Administration's Special Operations Division. He warns, don't buy pills or drugs that are not prescribed by a doctor. Because often, fentanyl, due to its extreme potency, is added to other drugs or pills and makes them cheaper and more powerful. They may contain deadly levels of fentanyl and you wouldn't even be able to see it, taste it or smell it. Maltz recounts a story of how a young girl died from a fentanyl overdose after buying a fake pill on social media. Two years ago, three days before Christmas, a beautiful young girl, Alex Capilouto, who lived in California, came home from spring break on, from Arizona State University, and she ordered one fake pill. I think it was a Percocet. She thought she was getting Percocet because she had some anxiety, maybe a little depression, and the drug dealer delivered it right to the house. She took one pill or half a pill, and her parents found it dead in the morning. This is happening all over the country. DEA Chief Ann Milgram told CBS that for teens now, getting a fake pill is as easy as getting Uber Eats because there's just so much illicit fentanyl in the country. The real issue is the Mexican cartels flooding the streets. It's like a tsunami of fentanyl in our streets in America, and that's why we're seeing so many deaths. But where are Mexican cartels getting the drug? China is sending precursor chemicals, which are key ingredients to make fentanyl, to Mexican labs. And these labs produce the fentanyl, then the cartels move the drug across the U.S. border. You know, we have a wide open border. Look at the numbers of apprehensions we have on the border, 221,000 last month. Now, you got to remember, the cartels control everything on the border. So as Border Patrol is doing migrant processing and babysitting, the cartels are sending in their drugs and their people right over the border and they're not being apprehended. DEA Chief Milgram says that Chinese chemical companies are the largest producers of precursor chemicals used to produce fentanyl. And Maltz says that China is using the drug to destabilize America. Based on my analysis is that the Chinese Communist Party have their unrestricted warfare against their adversaries. And this is just another tool in their toolbox. They're destabilizing our country. They're killing our future generation by using the Mexican cartels as a proxy to deliver this poisonous chemical substance all over America. Don Ma, NTD News. As Finland and Sweden are planning to apply for NATO membership, Ukrainian President Zelensky says if his country had been a member of NATO beforehand, the war with Russia would have been prevented. 
Snake Island, a tiny island not far from Ukraine's south coast in Romania, is now the center of the battle, and it could even decide whether Ukraine or Russia could have dominance over the northwestern Black Sea. NTD's Eddie Aitken has more. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky said the war in Russia would have been prevented if his country had been a member of NATO beforehand. Yeah, I am absolutely convinced, and I've said it before, that if Ukraine had been part of NATO before the war, there would have been no war. I believe in this. Speaking to French University Sciences Po, Zelensky said he wanted to restore the country's territory before an end of the war with Russia could be envisioned, adding he was still willing to dialogue with Moscow. The war will only end for the Ukrainian nation when we get back what is ours. Snake Island, a remote island off Ukraine, and occupied by Russia on the first day of its invasion has become the focal point of a battle for control of the western Black Sea coast. Both countries have reported renewed fighting around the island, which achieved worldwide fame in the conflict's first hours when Ukrainian border guards stationed there rejected a Russian warship's demand for their surrender. In a Wednesday update on the war, Britain's defence ministry said fighting continued there and the fight backed by Ukraine for the island could decide if Russia is able to establish a defensive base there and thereby exercise dominance over the northwestern Black Sea. Analysts say if Russian troops succeeded in occupying Snake Island and set up long-range air defense systems, not only would Ukraine's most important Black Sea port Odessa come under threat, NATO members, Romania, would be endangered as the island is less than 30 miles from the country. Ukrainian President Zelensky condemned that pro-Russia leaders of Kherson region sought to join Russia and call them collaborators. Russia's TASS news agency reported on Wednesday, quoting the military civilian administration there, that Russian-occupied region of Kherson plans to ask President Vladimir Putin to incorporate it into Russia by the end of this year. Kremlin said Kherson residents must decide their own fate but that such decisions need a clear legal basis, as was the case with Crimea. But head of the Russian-controlled military civilian administration said there would be no referendums, as the referendum in Crimea was not accepted by other countries. Kherson is the first region set to be annexed, and Russia has already introduced Russian ruble in the region to replace Ukraine's currency. Eddie Aitken, NTD News. Some businesses in Ukraine's capital are up and running again after Russian forces withdrew. NTD's Andrew Thomas has the story of one burger joint. In a small courtyard of central Kyiv, a small burger restaurant is open for business. Igor Abramenko is the owner of OG Burger. He said he never imagined he would have to leave. Uh, I got the call 6 o'clock in the morning and a friend of mine called me said like it starts, the war is uh, starts actually now, uh, it's, uh, they bombed us, uh, we got like first uh, bombing uh, near Kyiv. After spending 30 years in Los Angeles, Abramenko returned to Kyiv two years ago. He opened a small hamburger restaurant, serving authentic burgers he mastered from his time in the U.S. But as the war started, friends and family urged him to leave. So he closed the restaurant and returned to his sons in L.A. As soon as Russian forces withdrew from the region, he returned to Kyiv and was able to reopen the restaurant. Why? Like I said, it's just something inside telling me that I have to be here. I'm not in the front line, I'm not a warrior, but at least I do like one of the best burgers in Kyiv. <laughs> Abramenko said although there were problems with gasoline supply, business felt somewhat back to normal. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Coming up, the second ever image taken of a black hole. And unlike the first photo, this one shows the black hole at the heart of our own Milky Way galaxy. We'll have the details for you after this short break. Astronomers have unveiled a photo of the supermassive black hole at the center of our own Milky Way galaxy. And it's the second ever image taken of a black hole. 
Here are the details. The International Team Event Horizon Telescope captured this image of the massive black hole at the center of the Milky Way galaxy. It's called Sagittarius A-star. This black hole possesses 4 million times the mass of our sun and is located about 26,000 light years away from Earth. This image shows a bright ring surrounding the darkness, the telltale sign of the shadow of the black hole. Light escaping from the hot gas swirling around the black hole appears to us as the bright ring. Light that is too close to the black hole, close enough to be swallowed by it, eventually crosses its horizon and leaving behind, leaves behind just a dark void in the center. Black holes are extraordinarily dense objects with gravity so strong that not even light can escape. So viewing them is quite challenging. A black hole's event horizon is the point of no return. Everything, even stars and planets, gets pulled inward at that distance. The first ever image of a black hole was captured by the same team in 2019. I wish I could tell you that second time is as good as the first when imaging black holes, but that wouldn't be true. It is actually better. Now we know that it wasn't a coincidence. It wasn't some aspect of the environment that happened to look like the ring that we expected to see. We now know that in both cases, what we see is the heart of the black hole, the point of no return. The Event Horizon Telescope is a global network of observatories working collectively to observe black holes. The project began in 2012 to try to directly observe the immediate environment of a black hole. Reporting by Allison Lee, NTV News. Axiom Space is building the world's first commercial space station. Construction for its new facility is now underway in Houston, Texas. Here are the details. The Axiom Space Company is a privately funded American spaceflight company. It broke ground on its new headquarters in Houston, Texas on Wednesday. The company says the facility will house the production of the Axiom Station, which will be the first free-flying, globally available commercial space station in the world. We're going to complete the whole uh, circle, if you will, of, uh, of development and flying uh, in space with humans. And, and we're not really exploring anymore. We're pioneering. We're off to go settle uh, space. Axiom Space has been one of the leading companies in commercial space tourism. It was founded by Philippe Stark and ex-NASA program manager Michael Safradini. In April this year, the company arranged Axiom One mission, the very first all-private space mission into NASA's International Space Station. Axiom Space joined the other uh, anchor tenants currently building at the Houston Spaceport and together with other future ventures, they will establish the core hub for aerospace innovation. The first section of the Axiom Space Station is expected to launch in late 2024. Space tourism is on the rise. And now for your sports news. Here's NTD's Dave Martin with today's top stories. Thank you, Steph. Forbes released their rankings of the world's top 10 highest paid athletes on and off the field. And coming in at number one was Lionel Messi with a combined $130 million. In fact, three of the top four were soccer stars, with Cristiano Ronaldo third at $115 million and Neymar right behind him at 95. Lakers star LeBron James was the only other athlete in the nine-digit range, coming in second with $121 million. His fellow NBA stars Steph Curry and Kevin Durant were fifth and sixth respectively at just over $92 million, followed by tennis legend Roger Federer, who missed nearly all of last year with a knee injury. While Federer earned less than a million on the court, he pulled in 90 million off it, more than anyone else. Boxing star Canelo Alvarez came at number eight with 90 million, 85 of that was earned in the ring. The only NFL star in the top 10 was Tampa Bay's Tom Brady at number nine. Brady earned better than 30 million from the Bucks, but got more than 50 million off the field. And finally at number 10 was two-time NBA MVP Giannis Adetokounmpo at just under 81 million. In the NBA tonight, a pair of game sixes are on the schedule. First, the Heat are up 3-2 and look to eliminate the Sixers in Philly. Miami will be without the services of veteran all-star Kyle Lowry. 
Lowry injured his hamstring back on April 22nd against Atlanta and then re-aggravated it in Sunday's loss to the Sixers, which was just his second game back. Philly has their own injury issues with MVP runner-up Joel Embiid still listed as questionable with a facial fracture. In the late matchup, Dallas looks to stave off elimination at home down 3-2 to Phoenix. And just like the Philly-Miami series, this matchup has seen the home team win every game. Suns guard Devin Booker looks completely recovered from his hamstring injury, averaging nearly 27 points a game in the series and hitting nearly half his threes. In NHL news, the finalists for the Hart Trophy, which is equivalent to the league's MVP award, were announced Thursday. Toronto's Austin Matthews, Edmonton's Connor McDavid, and Rangers goalie Igor Shesterkin made the cut. Matthews led the league in goals while McDavid had the most points for the second straight season, and Shesterkin led all goalies in numerous categories. Last year's winner was McDavid, who also won the award in 2017. Tonight's NHL action features four game sixes as Carolina looks to eliminate Boston on the road, Tampa Bay needs a win to stay alive against Toronto, St. Louis can close out at home facing Minnesota, and finally, Edmonton needs a win in LA to advance to the second round. Elsewhere in the league, Pittsburgh's Sidney Crosby exited Wednesday night's game against New York with what's being termed an upper body injury. Crosby, who's won two Hart trophies himself, is tied for third in playoff scoring with nine points in five games. His return is uncertain. That's all for sports news today. Back to you, Steph. Thanks, Dave. And that's all for tonight's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox.